Today's reading is Psalm 121. It can be found on page 571 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God, as we come into this place, we ask now that you would speak to us. You would meet us where we find ourselves. Um, And so with all the mixture of emotions and experiences that we have, we, we all probably have an either explicit or implicit hope that you would be able to speak to the, the place where we are. Um, and then the, the thing that we don't necessarily always want to admit is that we're a mess in all different kinds of ways and places. And so we need the, the message that we keep running into every week that we open up this book the message that you move towards messy lives and you don't ask us to clean our life up so that we can measure up and be acceptable. You actually move towards uh, unclean lives and you make us acceptable. And you are so full of grace that you came in person in Jesus to do that to make the path clear that we could know you and move towards you and experience you as good and loving and gracious amidst our mess. So do that now and help us to know that now as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, In uh, 1962, there was a lot of concern about, in America, uh, physical fitness. And whether we were getting kind of, uh, you know, we were losing steam on that front. And even at the presidential level, John F. Kennedy, you know, was known to, to talk about this issue, you know, and to set up a task force and try to make sure we were doing enough with physical fitness and athletics, you know, coming from the presidential office. You know, it's a very big, important issue because think, more and more things were getting automated, you know, and we were sitting and... You know, there, I don't know if remote controls existed yet, but you get the idea <laughs> that it was stuff like that. People were saying, we don't have to move as much anymore. Um, fact checker, thanks for that. <laughs> I, I just read about it. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so Robert F. Kennedy went on this long walk, this 50-mile walk, and it was commemorated uh, last month, the 50-year anniversary And the reason he went for this walk is because his brother, the president, started getting this thing going about, hey, we need to have a military and an army that has uh, soldiers who can go for a 50-mile walk within 20 hours. Like, we should have the fitness to be able to do that. And then the jokes kind of started flying, well, you know, 
the, if, if he's going to be saying that and if he's going to be putting that out there, then his staff should be able to do that as well. And, and Robert Kennedy, his brother, just said, just the kind of person he was, just said, all right, I'm going to do it. And so he just set off one day on this 50-mile walk, and some of his uh, colleagues were going with him, and he, he went on this walk, and he, he just kept going. He was, his idea was to walk all the way to Camp David, um, just like, and get there, you know, whenever he got there. Got to about the 25-mile mark, which, can you imagine, walking 25 miles, what is that, like, maybe Folsom from here, or know, maybe a little closer, a little farther? Um, he got to the 25-mile mark, and they were kind of sitting there, and there's sort of famous pictures of him sitting there and his dog, a Newfoundland, is, is next to him, and he looks pretty exhausted, and he's sitting there in his, his leather, hard leather Oxfords, you know, he didn't, can you imagine? And, um, and, and no one really knows, you know, what was going through his mind at this point, 25-mile mark, I'm sure the thought, one of the thoughts was, okay, this is, you know, I did a good college try, this... This, this, will, this will be enough, you know, people will, I could stop now and people will still say, way to go, that's pretty amazing. And, um, but it, what happened was a helicopter came in with a bunch of news people, you know, and they had caught on to this 50 mile walk that he was doing. And so as that happened, he picked up, started walking again, and lost a few people at that 25 mile mark that, who just said, okay, we, we did enough. And then he got another 10 miles, 35 mile mark, and... And the rest of the people that were with him kind of signed off at that point, and he's rumored to have said to them as the last, the last one walked away, um, aren't you, I bet you're glad right now that your president is not your brother. <laughs> 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 and so he kept going, and he, he, and he did it, and he made it, and it took him 17-something hours to get 50 miles. I think of that 25-mile that mark as sort of that point of re-evaluation, right, that I want us to, to connect with a little bit today as we think. I don't know if you've done a real hike of any significant different, uh, distance in your life, but when you do, when you get out there amidst the elements, you know, I'm not talking about walking through Target. Um, I'm talking other elements, you know, like, you know, you're in the mountains, you know, the sun's beating down, you know, there's... Um, maybe it's starting to rain, you know, you get out there and, and you're walking and, you know, it's exciting at first because you're going to do this, you know, and everything when you're starting it feels great, right? And, you, and you're excited and you're doing it and maybe you're with a group of people. Um, but then you start to get to a point where, you know, it, gets, it doesn't even have to be that long of a hike, but if it's any significant amount, you start to go, you have all these feelings, you start to wonder about supplies, right? How are the supplies doing and how far are they going to get us later on in the journey? You start to get irritated. You know, the best you doesn't come out after this point, right? Because you're just exhausted. Uh, you start complaining about the conditions. You don't like how hot it is, how wet it is, how rocky the path is, how, you know, uh, bad your shoes are. And you start to get fed up with your traveling partners, right? Just kind of people you love to be with, people you love that... that mile one start to be super annoying at, at the 25-mile mark. And that's how our lives are. That's how our journeys are, spiritually speaking. You know, are you in your life right now in any sense at a point of reevaluation and you're, you're worried about the supplies for your journey and how much you'll have at the next point? Um... 
are you getting irritated? Because of exhaustion, because of what you're going through lately. You're just, you're just kind of tired. And, and it feels like the best you isn't really coming out. Are you complaining a lot, uh, talking a lot about the conditions of your journey right now in life? You, know? you don't really like the things that are happening. It's not, not working for you. It's not what you expected. And are you um, getting fed up with the people that you've been placed on this journey with? Getting irritated. That's life. And it's funny how, when we get to these points of reevaluation, how um, it's almost like we're surprised that that's how the journey is. As if we thought it was going to be like a, a, a race car driving video game. <laughs> you know, uh, on these games, if you've ever seen them, there's, a, there's actually a, a, a white, usually like a white blink, maybe blinking map up on the top. So that as you're looking out the window and driving this little wheel, you can see where the next curve is. You can see where you are with respect to the other drivers. Sometimes we think life is supposed to be like that, right? But it's not. You can't, it's not just saying, oh, oh, here's that comfortable 90 degree curve again coming up. I better get ready for that. And then I'm going to go this way. And then it's going to go that way. And right now I'm at this point, but I got that much more to go. You realize the journey of life, you don't, you don't get that flashing map up in front of you. And like in real race car driving, which I've never done, but I can imagine it's pretty comforting to go around the same loop over and over again and every time to pass by the rescue crew, right? All those prof trained professionals ready to, to help you out if you crash or if something goes wrong. And, and then we realize a lot of times life, you're going, where's the safety net? Where's the trained crew ready to help me out if something goes wrong? And, and you don't have that. And Psalm 121 says... In the middle of that, that real-life journey, it says, God has your journey handled. God has your journey handled. It's, along with a few other psalms, uh, in the middle of this book of psalms, and it's in this, this, these few that come together here in the 20s and a little bit into the 30s, they're called, they all have the subtitle, A Song of Ascents. And we're going to hit a few of these over the next couple of weeks. And ascent meaning going up. Because if you were a devout Jewish family in the olden days, you would go up three days uh, or three times a year. You would travel in caravan and go up to Jerusalem, which was up on a mountain. And you would make this journey as a part of your spiritual rhythms of the year. And it was, a, it was a really important journey to make. They made it three times, and as they did it, they would sing these songs. These were the songs for the journey. Someone called it the dog-eared songbook of ancient Israel. They'd sing these songs as they went up on this journey, this, tr this trip, this hike together amidst all the elements. So I want you to imagine that you're, you're on that journey, that you've set off for Jerusalem to go to the temple for big, big important uh, festivals. You're with all these people that you know, and you're getting off on the journey, and it's starting off, and everyone's excited. Everyone's eager. It's the beginning of the journey, and you just have that enthusiasm, that excitement, and and you're going to the most important uh, physical place you know of. It's filled with mystery and anticipation 
and possibility. It's the temple. It's viewed in your way of looking at faith and life in this time. It's, it's viewed as the, the footstool of God. The presence of God touches down, touches down. It's that connecting point. And you're going to go there. It's filled with possibility. What might happen? What might it be like? And then all the stories of your people are wrapped up in what's going to happen there and be celebrated there. And so everyone's excited. I don't know how, if we can even grasp the sense of excitement and centrality of the temple for these. I, I doubt we can grasp um, a sense of importance. We don't have anything that parallels it. So maybe it's enough just to say that, just imagine that you're on this journey with all these people and even the teenagers are excited. <laughs> Does that help a little bit? I mean, they've, they've stopped rolling their eyes and saying, do I have to, can't I stay at home? and play on my phone. Um, you know, they're not, they don't have that sense. The temple is so central and exciting to them that they're even excited. They even know how central, how cool, how important it is, and how full of possibility it is to go there. So everyone's excited, and you get going on this journey, but then eventually you get to mile 25, and you've been through the elements, the heat of the sun, and the rocks in your sandals. You wish you had Oxford loafers compared to the sandals you have. You're starting to stink. And you know it because other people are starting to stink. <laughs> and you're walking and you're going and you're getting irritated with your travel partners. You're wondering about supplies. You know, did she just drink too much water? <laughs> you know, um, is there going to be a shady place to stop anywhere soon? It's getting dark. Are there going to be, you know, Wild animals hiding out, coming out of caves, or thieves coming out. And you're getting to that point where you're worried and your mind is going there, but you're still walking. Everyone's still walking. And as your mind is going there and you're reevaluating the whole thing, what's going why do, why do we do this? From in the caravan somewhere, a wise elder in a firm, strong voice calls out and it, and it kind of pierces the air and it comes out over everyone and everyone hears it. Calls out almost in a, in a song slash chant. The first line to Psalm 121. It's time to sing this song. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes out and you hear it. And it, it's like it was on cue for where... You're at in your mind this point of evaluation. Somehow he knew what was going on. He could sense it collectively in the group. And you realize as you hear those words, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And you realize that your, you, your focus has been incredibly derailed and out of sync and out of sorts. And you've got a sort of different lens on now that's not your, the lens you really want to look at this journey through. And as those words come to you, it kind of, there's a derailment and it kind of comes back and things sync up just by hearing those words because you know the rest of the song and you know what this song means and you've sung it before. And so you and everyone else around you comes right in after a pause with the second verse. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. And now your eyes are fixed on something amidst this journey. 
now you've got that focus again as you say the rest of the psalm and as you get through it and with everyone else, you've got it again. You've got a sense of your security on this journey. And your security comes from what this psalm just says over and over as you're singing it. He's got your journey handled. God has your life handled today. It's good to stop and think about where we get our security, where, where we're going at any given point. Where are you going for your security in life amidst your journey right now? One of the common ways and places we go for that is, is really voiced in this psalm with that first line, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? The ancient people um, would go to the mountains for their worship. Um, and their worship practices and their shrines and their sacrifices and their altars and all the activity that goes along with that. They'd go up high, up to the mountains. They would look to the mountains and look to their religious activity to uh, produce a sort of care in their life and, and over their journey. Um, and that's one of the things people, you can still do today for your security. You can look to your religious practices to be sort of kick-starting, jump-starting the care over your life from the gods or God. And it's interesting because in that ancient world, there's, um, there's this issue of sometimes the gods are asleep, sometimes they're taking a nap, and you've got to get really active to wake them up. Uh, verse 4, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So going to the hills and to that worship and trying to wake up the gods was, was really counter to what this psalm uh, talks about. But that's where we often go. That's what our religious activity often mirrors still today. If you think about it, basically, you're kind of saying, well, I look up to the hills, I look to God to watch over my life, but it's kind of in my hands to do something to wake him up, to do something effectively to get God's attention and unless I do this and that and the other, I really have to wonder and second-guess my journey. Have I done enough? Have I done enough that God likes me now? That's the, that's the way that if you're singing Psalm 121, you're boldly turning away from. But that's where a lot of us find ourselves going, especially in the church. Um, there's another way, too. There's the non-religious way of looking for your security. The way of basically saying, I have my life handled. I can handle my journey. Maybe at one time you tried the religious thing and you just um, saw some, some things that didn't line up. And they really didn't line up. And, and uh, you saw people, in a sense, trying to wake up the gods and you said, that, there's something about that. I'm not, I'm not stupid. <laughs> I'm not naive enough to think that that's how it works. Because in the end, aren't they just handling it themselves anyway? They're the ones that have to wake God up. It's up to them. I think I can handle it myself. Maybe we don't trust that if we let go and let God that it'll turn out so well. We don't know God well enough yet. And so over time, because you're holding, you're holding your life, you're holding your journey, it gets to be a weight 
I mean, it's, it's a pretty logical concept. If you're, if you're holding something, it gets heavy, and you feel the weight of it, and you get tired, and in the end, it's a weight you can't carry. This is terrifying story in the last few days in Florida about this sinkhole that opened up under someone's house. Um, absolutely terrifying story. And someone, if you haven't heard it, you know, it just opened up, and this is something geologically that just can happen, and this sinkhole opens up, and someone actually went in it, just fell in, and they haven't found him. Last, last I checked. And um, other, some other people in the house, they got out. Terrifying story. I was listening to an interview of a geologist um, describing what's going on with this and how he said there's basically two kinds of sinkholes. This in Florida, there's this acidic stuff in the ground and it, it eats away at the limestone, I think, is, if I remember correctly. There's two ways that it happens. Some, you just know, well, there's a sinkhole over there and it's getting bigger and bigger every year. You know, you can kind of, it's just there and you know that it's there and it's obvious. And then there's the kinds, almost like, I describe like a sleeper sinkhole. And you don't know it's there. And it could be, this work could be happening underground for decades upon decades, he said. And then all of a sudden, within minutes, it opens up. Um, that's, when, when he said that, and when I heard that description, I thought that's a little bit like what it's like holding your journey in your own hands, saying, I'm handling my journey. Is it because I know that, you know, I've tried this, I've tried handling my own journey, and I know I've talked to a lot of people who are handling their own journey, and I know that you might be handling your own journey, not really trusting anyone other than yourself with it. And I know that it might just be going great. It might be going fine, and you're feeling pretty good. Um, but it can, really, it can be decades of that, and then it'll, be, it'll feel like minutes where the bottom drops out. Jesus talked about a house being built on the sand. And that's what it's like. Eventually, a wave will come and just show it for what it is. It's just, it's just not a foundation. So please stop a second and think about where your security is. How's your life getting handled right now? If there's a pen nearby or if you have one, get a pen out of a Bible. Don't be shy. Get a pen. You can pretend you're going to do this and then not do it. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I don't, I don't care if you don't do it. But I'm just going to say we're all doing this. <laughs> get a pen and just put a little note somewhere. Where's your security? Just Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a phrase. As you're thinking about your life, your journey right now, where's, where have you been placing your security? You know, this has to happen. Otherwise, I don't know if life is going to be okay. What are you relying on? And to think about that, you know, if you're like me, you'd, you'd write it in a, such a way that no one would see it because <laughs> I care too much about what people think about me and I, I major in uh, impression management, you know, so you can do that. That's fine. That's what I would do. I'm trying to be bold, though, and not care what you think about me, but we'll, we'll see if I get better at that. Um, you know, you think about your decisions in life that you've been faced with lately. 
You'll see your security, where your security is, how you go about that. If you're a Christian, think about the last two or three things you've kind of decided, places you're going to go, ways your life is going to go. They can be pretty, it can end up pretty consequential. Did you, did you have a sense of running that past God in prayer? Did you have a sense of you were going to handle it and did you hand it off in any way, sense, or form and did it, you sense that it was handed back to you? Probably not for most of the things you're thinking about. Think about something that may be weighing on you right now. Where's your security? You've taken matters in some way. This is what we do. We take matters into our own hands. In your dating life, you've taken matters into your own hands because this is what people say you have to do in order to get the attention of guys or to get the uh, response from girls. And you've compromised yourself in ways you didn't want to on that journey because you took matters into your own hands. Think about your, your kids, if you have kids and their, their education maybe or where they're going to go with their life. And in some way, you've taken that into your own hands and you've lived under that burden yourself in how you've navigated that. It hasn't been an issue of letting it go and handing it over to God. Think about your, your money. This is almost universally true. The way you handle your money will often remove all doubt that you are that you have your security you haven't yet put your security in God where's your security I mean if you think about this you, you can see don't you see that you, your security if you put it in your romantic life that's a, that's a weight that your romantic relationship just can't handle it'll become a sinkhole and the bottom will drop out eventually maybe even Decades into marriage before it happens. Or if you put your, secu- your life security in how your kids end up, well, that's a burden to put on your kids. Don't want to be your kids. Or if you put it on your money, I mean, I don't have to say much about how depending on money for your security is a sinkhole, but money can't bear that weight either. And you'll find yourself, even if things are going well, financially, materially, there will start to be an emptiness that you feel on a regular basis, and it will only grow. God wants you to put it all on him. He basically says in the psalm over and over, if you notice, my help comes from the Lord. He watches over you. He watches over. He watches over. The sun won't harm you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. He'll watch over your coming and going now and forever. Do you get, catch the theme? God wants to carry the weight. He can bear the weight. And he's acted over and over again in this book to show you, to prove to you beautifully how he can bear the weight. So that when Jesus comes, he says, put your yoke upon me. Put your burden on me. Um... Jesus, when he was marching up, because he was in one of those devout families that would go up the mountain three times a year, and so he knew all the songs. He knew the Psalm 121, and and he would go up for Passover, and he loved the temple so much so that he stayed there for three extra days once when his caravan started going back. Maybe you know that story. And they had to come back and find him. He was just in the temple, just enjoying it, talking, asking questions. 
And he, so he did all this in, in the Gospels, his last trip to the temple, his last journey of ascent up towards Jerusalem. He began singing a different song. He knew Psalm 121, but as he went up his last time, and as he moved towards Jerusalem towards this last year of his life, he, he started having this mantra, this thing that he kept saying. And the summary of that was, trouble's coming, and I'm going to be handed over when we get there. We're going up to Jerusalem. Trouble's coming. I'm going to be handed over. It's going to be brutal. And they're going to put me on the cross, and I'm going to rise from the dead, which a lot of times on Easter... Um, you know, we talk about how that didn't really, the rising part, you know, we might hear that and go, yeah, but he, he told them it was going to end nice. But um, that didn't mean that to them. There's sort of theological understanding of resurrection that they didn't think of it the way he actually ended up rising from the dead three days later. And so to them, this troubles coming in Jerusalem, this mantra Jesus started saying to the closest people to him didn't make any sense to them. And they pro- you can imagine them on this journey up to Jerusalem saying, it's time to, s- Jesus, no, it's time to sing Psalm 121. He's going to guard you. He's going to keep us. He's going to watch over us as we go up to Jerusalem. That's the song you sing on the way up to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, no, not this time. And there's three times in most of the Gospels where Jesus repeats this new song that he's singing. Basically, he's saying, yeah, Psalm 121 is true. God's going to hold you and us. But this time, God's going to let go of me. That's terrifying. This time, God's going to let go of me, and he's going to do it so that he can forever hold on to you. This is the way that Psalm 121 is going to be finally and definitively proved. I don't know if you're, have you ever wondered and been terrified at the thought of whether God might let go of you? Have you ever thought about, you know, just in thinking about how does God view me? And have you ever got kind of stuck on that? Like, I, I wonder, does, am I acceptable to God? Does he like me yet? Is he going to, how can I be sure that he's not going to let go of me at some point and let me go? And maybe that issue just keeps you from releasing and letting him you know, have your life and have your journey in his hands because you're worried he's going to let go of you. That's what the disciples thought when Jesus said he was going to let go of him is that he's, going to, he's just going to be letting go of us. That can't happen. If you've ever thought that, if I, you know, I wonder if God might let go of me. The strong, firm answer of Jesus' last journey of ascent up to Jerusalem is No. No. God will never let go of you. He's gone through great lengths through his son to show how committed and determined God through Jesus is to hold on to your life. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. Living life like Psalm 121 is true, that's a very beautiful picture of life. Let go of the reins, let go, let God handle it, put it in God's hands. It's a beautiful picture. But to get it, in small and in big ways, at small reevaluation points, the mile markers, 
and at the big ones, at the 25-mile markers. You might be at small and big points of reevaluation today. At both of those, to get to this beautiful picture involves handing off. And the real habit of the life of faith, and this is where prayer comes in, the real habit is this, the small ones and how they incrementally build up over time, that each day, maybe more than once in a day, you're, you're consciously handing off to God. Handing off. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have our journeys firmly in your hands and we pray that you help us to believe that and to go through those actions we need to do to stop clutching and grabbing hold and releasing. We might have small incremental ways that we're thinking about doing that today or we might have huge decisions, forks in the road, things coming up that it's absolutely essential that we believe this. Help us, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. None of us has it figured out. But may we journey together and may we sing and call out Psalm 121, as it were, to each other in our one-on-one relationships, in our community pods, our small groups. Uh, Help us as a community to develop habits of putting things in your hands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We move to the time of our service. There will be a, a musical offering. And um, an offering, offering baskets or bowls, as it looks like, we're going to come around. If you're new to City Life, this is not a moment of pressure in any way. But um, it is an act of worship of us giving to God from what he's given us. So just help us keep those things passing through. And if, and if you can, let us know how you found out about us. If you're on the newer end of the spectrum, fill out that contact card. Um, there's a prayer. I invite you to pray with me. As we focus this time, let us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts. With them, we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.